Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. It is the off season, but we are here. We are surviving. We're going to get through this. Even just saying that sounds weird. You're alive. I'm looking at you. That's good, right? Yeah, I made it. I made it home. Does it feel like the first couple days after a breakup right now? No. So I've already said this several times. I'm going to say it again, just so you can hear it once again. Way more upset that you're not giving me credit and no one's giving me credit for saying I've given you credit. How many times do you want me to say? How many times do you want me to say? Emphatically, I was right. You picked Clemson to win the national championship. Halfway through the year, we said, who is Bama going to win the national championship? Is there any chance anyone beats Bama? And I was like, yeah, Clemson. Ohio State, one of those is right. I think you've officially crossed over to the journalism side when you're more concerned about being right than you are rooting for your team. So congratulations yes, to you. Yeah, thanks. That's, That's all step. I wanted. That's all I That's wanted. That's a big step. No, I feel good. I, I still haven't got my ears to pop in six days, but other than that, I'm doing great. Might want to get that checked out. Definitely should do that. We have a lot to get to. Um, there was some news. Some news in the SEC. We are going to talk Jalen Hurts. We're going to talk Jim Chaney. All of this going on with Georgia and Tennessee, this... We don't even want you. We really want you. All this this nonsense that's going on over over a coordinator. Um, break up. Yeah, uh, it, it is important though. We are going to get to it. We have some year end superlatives that you drew up for us, and then I have a favorite moment for every SEC team, and we're going to look at some early top twenty five stuff because it's always time to look at top twenty five stuff, right? Always. I don't care what the off season is, but first we got to talk Jalen Hurts because. We find out on Wednesday that the Alabama quarterback is in the transfer portal and the bidding war can officially begin. Oh, that's, sorry, I shouldn't say bidding war. I mean, like, teams can just actually contact him and it's legal. Um, I'm sure nobody has had any contact with him whatsoever and everybody's been playing by the rules. The early odds for his next destination are out. Sorry, Bama fans, it looks like Jalen Hurts is going to indeed be out. That's usually what it means when you're in the transfer portal. The favorites... And I think this was, was this BetDSI? I, I should have looked this yeah, up. Who came up with these odds? Okay. It was BetDSI that came out with these odds. And Houston is the favorite at plus 150. Then I'm going to run through this real quick. We've got Arizona plus 300, Maryland plus 400, UCLA plus 500, TCU plus 500, Florida State plus 750, Florida plus 1,000, Louisville plus 1,000, Tennessee plus 1,500. I'm getting winded. UCF, UCF plus 1,500, plus, A&M plus 1,500, Oklahoma 2,000, FAU plus 2,000. Oh, you got to go take it again because I'm, I'm winded. West Virginia 2,000, Washington State plus 2,500. And cash money records taken over for the 9-9 and the 2,000. There you go. There was a reference I didn't understand. What? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it later. Was That, a, that was a, a Lil Wayne reference, right? Cash money. It was close enough. It was from a juvenile song. It was fine. Oh, yeah. He was same. On, he was on the track late. Right region of the country. That's big timers, right? There you shout, go. Kind shout of. out. Yeah, shout out Will Ogburn. All right. Um, so basically what this says is nobody has any idea where he's going to end up because Houston at number one to me is surprising. I get the appeal. It's 40 minutes from where he grew up in Channel View, Texas. I get the fact that Dana Holgerson is there. But I keep going back to what his dad said in the offseason and the great story that Matt Hayes did for Bleacher Report where his dad came out and said, if he were to transfer, he'd be the biggest free agent in the history of college football. Do we really think that the biggest free agent in the history of college football is going to Houston? Because no, I don't. And also they have they have Derek King or Derek, Derek King, however you want to say his name. The guy that started ahead of Kyle Trask back in high school, fun and fact. And also put up 50 touchdowns this year before he got injured. Yeah. So 
Um, and, and I'm not sure what his eligibility situation is. He's a junior um, this year, so he still has another year. Right, but I haven't seen like if he'd be able to take a red shirt or, or, or something like no. that or how that would all work. But um, so two, I don't think he's going to either one of those. Yeah, Arizona to me seems weird after Coyle what Kevin someone did. Yeah, Khalil Tate is staying at Arizona, so that like dude was on the cover of Sports Illustrated this year as a preseason Heisman candidate. I know he didn't have a great year, but let's let's be real there. Someone so picked one on the Heisman, I think, super early on too. That was that was not my best. I mean, yeah, he put up those ridiculous <laughs> numbers as like a you know the year before, but and then I kind of thought he'd be able to do the same thing in someone's offense, but yeah, those top two are a little bit odd. The third one makes the most sense. Maryland makes more sense because of the Loxley connection, and yeah. you know that he's got a path to start there. Um, you know that he's got a relationship with the former Alabama offensive coordinator, and he'd have a path to playing, and he'd get to play some big-time opponents, so there'd be some marquee games. And they have a really good running game, by the way. Say what you want about Maryland. Obviously, they you know only won five games last year. Anthony McFarland like was a revelation. I mean, that's way too soon. That's okay, We don't need fair. to go there. Um, so I didn't want to look at where I think Jalen Hurts is going to end up because, to me, that, that's a mystery. And we've already kind of looked at this. We've talked about this. So instead, I did something for SDS, shameless plug alert, and I'll go through this now. If I was in Jalen Hurts' shoes, which I'm not, I understand that, and I've been very wrong on Jalen Hurts in the past. I said, he was <coughs> gonna quit. I said he was going to quit the team in the middle of the season. That didn't happen, obviously, so you can take this for what it is. But if I was Jalen Hurts, these are the five schools that I'd want to transfer to. Knowing that you got to check a lot of boxes here. It's not as simple as, oh, this is a coach that I've had a relationship with, or oh, this is a team that throws the ball 50 times a game. If I'm Jalen Hurts, I'm looking at a school that A, gives me the opportunity to throw and show that I can improve and develop as a passer just so that I can get drafted and have a chance in the NFL. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's what he wants to do. You need a place where you have a path to start. That means not a, an incumbent starter, somebody that's been there, who's established, who the fan base feels really good about, a uh, coach that obviously is loyal to that starter. It's going to be very tough to win that job over them. And then there's the other element of, Go, or, go to a place where you're going to have a chance to look good with guys around you who are going to be able to, to catch some passes. Sorry, Arkansas, but going there next year probably doesn't make the most sense for Jalen Hurts, even though he'd have a path to playing. So these are the five that I came up with. Real quick, do you have anything interrupt it, it, to interject with, with what I said there? Because you, you shook your head like, at a couple of those things. I don't like this topic. Because, because it's, these aren't, he's not going to these schools. Right, but I think... If we start to think like this, it'll give us maybe a little bit better idea as to where his mindset could possibly be because of the fact that these schools check off some very important boxes. And I'll say that. I just okay. I don't. And, I'll, and, save the, I'll save for the end. Okay. I don't think he's gonna. End, I don't necessarily think he's going to end up at these schools. This isn't my way of saying Jalen Hurts is going here. If I were him, this is where I'd go. Number one, very obvious. It's Oklahoma. You're just you, we we just hear the news about Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is apparently going into the NFL draft. That's a report uh, from the San Francisco Chronicle, and he is not going to play baseball. In other words, Oklahoma needs a new quarterback. That Oklahoma's last two quarterbacks it's worked out pretty well. A couple of Heisman trophies, first two years of the Lincoln Riley Riley era. Great opportunity for Jalen Hurts. He'd get to go to a coach that would allow him to use his mobility, take some downfield shots, put up some big time numbers playing against Big Twelve defenses. Match made in heaven. He'd also be, uh, I think, seven hours from home, roughly. So it's a long drive, but not a, not a terrible drive. And he gets to grow up kind of around the conference that, that he played in. Or play in the conference that he grew yeah. up around. That's what oh, I meant yeah, to yeah. say. All right, this next one you have a big problem with. You yeah, hate this, this one. So, this is so you hate this one. 
Let me explain this. This is not a biased take. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Mississippi State. And I put this in here because if I'm Jalen Hurts, I'm looking for a place where I can have an opportunity to throw the ball downfield. I want to still have some of those running opportunities as a quarterback because Jalen Hurts is not just all of a sudden going to be a pocket passer. He's not just going to do a complete 180 before he tries to make a professional career at this position. Why not go to a place like Mississippi State where you got a quarterback and Joe, or you got a you got a coordinator slash coach in Joe Moorhead? Let's call it what it is. Who's going to give you all the opportunity in the world to do just that? He thrived with Trace McSorley, and he had struggles with Nick Fitzgerald because Nick Fitzgerald couldn't throw the ball downfield. Jalen Hurts wants that that chance. It's going to be there, and I think there would be a path to start ahead of Keaton Thompson, who I like, but I don't think that he's stepping in the way of Jalen Hurts winning a starting job. Tee off on me. If if we're doing, if we're reporting something that is, or we're we're gonna go over a topic of Jalen Hurts is transferring. Where where should he go? Where will he go? Two there different was, questions. Two Very different, different questions. One of them relevant. One of them relevant. But to have Mississippi State on here at two is asinine because he's not gonna go there. It's a waste of time to even talk about it. He's not he's not gonna go to Mississippi State. But I think he's going to look for a situation very similar to that. And I listed Mississippi State because it checks his, it checks some key boxes. And people are people that would say, why would he want to go 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 finish his career in Starkville? Well, it's one year. Like, all right, come on, say what you right, want about you- Stark Vegas. But that's not going to be a factor in his decision. The things that are that that I think this will come down to, he wants to be in a situation where he could be surrounded by a good coach who knows how to maximize a quarterback's abilities. Trace McSorley was a safety before he got to Penn State. He was a guy that nobody thought could play at the college level, and he leaves as one of the most prolific passers that we've had this decade and in look sport. at him now. He's about to be an undrafted free agent. But, I, I mean, okay, so there's that. There's the fact they didn't spend his final year with him as well. Right. But that's different discussion. Jalen Hurts can still develop in that system with Moorhead, and in my opinion... You need to look for something like that, and his competition level is still going to be great. And I think that receivers are terrible, but he's getting new receivers in next year because they basically that's all he's been recruiting for the last two years since he got there. Um, I I think that there are some some attractive elements to this, but let's let's move past the Mississippi State thing because getting you're right. I mean, he's he's not going to go there. I'm not saying he's going to go there, but I would look for a situation like that. Here's one that I got I got some blowback on, and understandably so. Keeping it in the SEC, I'd want to go to Florida. And I want to go to Florida because if I have the chance to play for Dan Mullen, I'm doing it. And I understand that Felipe Franks is there. And I understand that he's coming off the most important game of his career, especially going into an offseason when we're going to have this discussion about Felipe Franks versus Emory Jones. If you get one year to go work with Dan Mullen, you do it. Because he schemes receivers open. He puts guys in positions to succeed. And Dan Mullen can play that Dak Prescott card and say, look what I did to somebody who was an unheralded dual-threat quarterback, and I turned him into a guy who was capable of being a passer at the next level. That and I think that that card talent. is key. Exactly. Yeah, I, no, so that one I agree with. I think that one makes sense. And, and other, <laughs> other stuff around the country. And, and, and Vegas, and all the things that we we just talked about, the odds of where it could go, that makes sense. Oklahoma and, makes sense. And here's the thing. I understand that Felipe, like Florida fans are more aboard with you know the Felipe Franks hype train now, but if Dan Mullen were to all of a sudden bring in Jalen Hurts, nobody, no Florida fan is going to be like, how dare Dan Mullen bring in Jalen oh, no. Hurts? Like no. that's, not, that's not how that would work. I, so I think this is actually his best situation. If there, if... 
if Felipe Franks wasn't there. That I think like going to Dan Mullen and playing under him and looking at what he was able to do under Dak Prescott, this would be like the ideal situation. You still get to play in the SEC. You're in the SEC East, so you probably won't have to cross over and play Alabama. So there's like it would be easier for them to grant his transfer that way. I I think this makes a lot of sense if it wasn't for Felipe Franks. Felipe Franks is a good quarterback, it, but it's like it's not one of those things where it's like, yeah, you could start over Felipe Franks or. Yeah, you're not going to be able to play with Felipe Franks. Like, it, there's just it's so much uncertainty of of who would be able to win that battle. And the last thing I think Jalen wants to do at this point, or like what he, what you know anybody would want to see him do, is go lose that quarterback battle. And then because and, I think they're kind of even. But here's the thing: he's going to know. He would know very early on because Dan Mullen would have to pursue him. And the way this yeah. process works, Dan Mullen would have to contact Jalen. And if Dan Mullen is blowing up my phone, I'm answering it every single time. And I'm saying. I'll do whatever I can to get down there. And yeah. if Dan Mullen is showing that he's going after Jalen Hurts, that means he's not as sold on Felipe Franks as maybe what he's saying to the public. So that that I threw out there because I think that checks so many different boxes. Yeah. And I think that Jalen Hurts would thrive in that system. And, the, and those receivers too. Great skill players around. Perfect, perfect situation. Okay, here are the two others. And one of these is a little bit, one of these is a wild card. The first one though. All right. Call it what you want. I'd want to go to USC, and not just because it's LA and you get to be on the West Coast and life <laughs> is good. That'd be fun. And I understand so Cliff Cliff Kingsbury is not there anymore. He's went to the Cardinals, which who who in the world good knows for how him, that happened? Man. It pays to be good looking in life, apparently. apparently. Uh, that's what I always tell myself. Um, so Jalen Hurts going to USC would make sense because USC would have a situation where you get to play for Clay Helton. Two years ago, this is a guy who helped develop Sam Darnold, a guy who came into college as a dual-threat quarterback. People forget that. Sam Darnold took off under Clay Helton, and I know that Clay Helton just had a bad season as a head coach, but what he did offensively two years ago, even though Sam Darnold had the year where he threw a lot of interceptions, I think that's still really attracted him to go work with a coach like that. And he would have a chance to win that starting job easily because you're talking about JT Daniels, a guy who's a true freshman. They struggled this year. Nobody has that job locked up for next yeah. season. And I think that that's a very nice situation to go into. And all the exposure that you would get on the West Coast, all the NFL minds that you would get to be by, and you know, in terms of a training standpoint, all that stuff. play defense out there. That would probably help too. That would probably help. I mean, well, so, it means like outside of Washington, for real, like they don't play defense. Right. Okay. So last one, and this is the wild card. And I threw this out there because I think it's more interesting than, than maybe people are giving credit for. It's Texas Tech. And I, they're not going to run the air raid offense next year. Cliff Kingsbury is gone, as we just mentioned. Mike Wells coming in from Utah State. Guy had the number two offense in the country. Do yep. people realize that? Like Utah State, I understand that that's not like a household name. He's not a household name. But this is someone who has balance on offense, gives his quarterbacks great opportunities to throw, and not to go, and I put this in the story, not to go all Darren Ravel here, but there's a certain rebranding aspect that if you're Jalen Hurts, you kind of need at this point. And if you go to Texas Tech where everybody knows, all right, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's throwing the ball, yeah. you're doing a lot for yourself personally to show that you can add this part of your game to your skill set. Yeah. And I think that getting a chance to play in that offense Playing in you know in the state of Texas as well, where he's from, and I understand that's not necessarily Lubbock isn't necessarily close to Channel View, but it's, it's I think it's like eight hours. Um, but there would still be some great opportunities there, and again, playing against Big Twelve defenses. So those so, are the five schools that I came up with just to yeah. say if I was Jalen Hurts, 
this is where I would want to go. Not saying he's going to go there, but that's yeah. where I would what, what I would want to do if I was in his spot. Well, I mean, thank God we have that now. Um, <laughs> Texas, <laughs> Jalen, I'm not speaking for you, but listen, this is what I would do if I was you. Um, stay at Bama, one. Switch <laughs> defensive back, two. Never go to Auburn. Um, no, so I think t- Texas Tech is not as far-fetched. I will give you credit for that. Mississippi State is outlandish. I will stand by what I said about that. Florida, I think that's, I, you know, the Florida thing is interesting. I, I, the Oklahoma thing is interesting. What I will say is I think it's between Maryland, TCU. Um, I think Arkansas could have a shot, and I think Florida State would be in there as well. And I think Oklahoma should should be something he should definitely look into. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird because, like I said in the beginning of this, you know, his dad built this up as, you know, the, the biggest free agent in college football yeah. history. But at the same time, and the reason that I mentioned those schools was because it's not as easy as he can just go anywhere and play automatically. Right. And and I didn't include a place, so I think people would be surprised to say, oh, well, why didn't you include Auburn? Because I, I threw out the idea before that, that that could very realistically be something that Auburn pursues and they want to bring him in there. I don't know, you know, I don't have any information on whether or not Gus Malzahn is going to do that. But if Jalen Hurts decides that he wants to go to Auburn, you're playing for a coach who is in very much in win-now mode, and he's going to do his bread and butter, which is having a Nick Marshall-like quarterback, yeah. and he's going to want to run you, and he's not going to worry about the pro-style throws that you'd be able to make. Yeah, and so that's that's why I didn't include Auburn in that. I didn't include Florida State, which I know Florida State has apparently already had some contacts with him because yeah. they got DeAndre, DeAndre Francois coming back. They got it's, James Blackman coming back. That's kind of murky. I'm not saying I'm sold on either one of them. but the besides not the same anymore. No, he's definitely not. But besides that... Who would want to play behind that offensive line? You talk about Surely trying to become the better. Line has to be has to be better oh. at this point, right? Oh, I, mean, I don't know, man. Oh, it's. I mean, it's been gone. It's been bad for three years, four that years, two, two years. They were they were playing. No, they were playing at defense. Dalvin Cook. They were good. The Dalvin Cook era. Yeah, they were good. That's fair. Twenty sixteen. But that's also when they got the crap kicked out of them against Clemson, same year. Yeah, but that, they still won a New Year's Six Bowl in twenty sixteen against. They beat Michigan uh, in the Orange Bowl. Okay, in 2016, yeah. yeah. I just, I mean, yeah, that's a good point with the offensive line. I don't know if you'd want to go there. Miami is not on the list, which I was kind of surprised because. Ah, kind of a know, mystery. Too much of a mystery right now. Yeah, they just, they, they definitely have a lot of quarterback issues. Louisville, I don't, mm, mm, I don't know about Jeff, that. Jeff Brown didn't want to go to Louisville and it was that's his right. dream job. It's, it's, it's funny how they just like threw out, I feel like a couple of these odds they just like threw out, they're like, He'll throw it up there, man. A&M. Just like Saban being on the odds for the Browns coach. Yeah. Just throw why is A and M on this list? Why? Free I mean, money. and so Arkansas, like if you're if he's going to go somewhere in the SEC West, why is Arkansas not on this list? Especially now that we know that our our boys Cole Kelly, he put his name in the transfer portal. And he's going to Northeast Louisiana State, which is like the school from Waterboy, I think. That not honestly, I can't argue with that. I think that definitely sounds like it might be. Is that where Coach O went? That's it's North. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Uh, there's too uh, many directional schools in Louisiana. We get them really mixed are. up. That, I'm pretty sure that one's in a strip mall next to a Quiznos, <laughs> like I've said before. Um, but this one, like Arkansas, would make sense because Chad Morris and being able to put up like like playing that offense, they would be a year improved. I, I think that would make a lot more sense than most of the SEC West teams or or Tennessee even. Which, by the way, love the fact that Tennessee fans have come out on social media and said we don't want them. Okay. Your boy. That's because of your boy, Jerry Garantano. Jerry Garantano. All right. That's fair. Good for you Let's, guys. What a seamless transition uh, into Tennessee talk. Tennessee's Oh, offense. we have to say one more thing first. Oh, one more thing. All right. So guys, we're going to step back to Arkansas. We might have to RIP this. Our boy, 
Ty Story might be leaving Arkansas. He this is. is the transfer of a hurl. I, I, man, I just, you know what the, kind of made my day when I saw this was there were several people when this was reported and I was like, no way. <laughs> and so, and I was like, I'm still kind of out of it from this like the travel and stuff like that. And so I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh. So I, I quickly tweeted out, I was like, this is the transfer of a hurl and posted it. And there was like 20 people that listened to the pod, I guess. There was like, yes, this is what I was, I came to Twitter looking for this. <laughs> that kind of made my day. But yeah, it sucks, man. Ty story I thought was. I wouldn't say it's good, but that's I, I would love to have another year of saying that, so I guess I have to find new jokes. That's really what it comes down to. Is yeah. We just want one more year of jokes. All right, Tennessee, big, big topic of discussion in the SEC this week. I'm, gonna, I'm looking for the right verb for this. Tennessee, well, let's just leave it at this. Tennessee hires Jim Chaney away from Georgia, where he was the offensive coordinator. Whether or not he was stolen away Lures. is a big topic of discussion. Lures, they're paying a $500,000 buyout to Georgia, and they're paying him a whole bunch of other money. If you haven't seen <coughs> the contract details, 2019, Jim Chaney's making $1.525 million. That's 2020, so he's going to make $1.6 million. 2021, he's going to make $1.7 million. He's the highest paid offensive coordinator in the country. Georgia fans are looking at this like, him? Jim Chaney? Him? He's the highest paid guy? He's the highest paid coordinator? What? That's the dumbest. Yeah, that's dumb. He should not be the highest paid coordinator in the country. But we knew this was going to happen because we knew that Tennessee was in this spot where not that it was necessarily, it was was desperate in a way because this is after the new year that you're hiring an offensive coordinator and Jeremy Pruitt is not an offensive minded guy. So we knew that they weren't going to be able to do what Auburn did, which was, oh, 28 year old guy from Memphis. Let's just go pay him $400,000 and have him come in and run our offense. He's $400,000? Dilly Dilly is, uh, oh man. Not very, not very well paid, but he's very young. He's a summer internship program. Jim Chaney is, if you're getting paid 400 grand in your summer internship, sign me up Well, I'm that. just saying, compared to the, I mean, Jim, Jim Chaney and Philip Fulmer are going to be in the same vicinity. Mean, those lunches are going to be outrageous. I don't care how shallow that sounds. That's the first, that's so much orange. That's so much orange. That gaudy orange. That's, I refuse I mean, to wear that gaudy I orange. I don't think it's a bad move. I think Chaney is a pretty good offensive coordinator. Now, I will say this to Georgia fans. I'm going to build you up and I'm going to break you down like I always Love do. It. Let's do it. I don't think if Georgia wanted to keep Cheney, they would have kept Cheney. No doubt. If they, if they would have they would have paid him whatever they needed to because what that what that place needs right now is stability, I think in the offseason going into like whatever things happened. Um, not that it's bad, but yeah, I think if they wanted to keep him they would have. I think Coley is going to replace him. They've already got him in place. Remember, Coley was the one that they almost, James Coley, they almost replaced him, uh, or they almost, Jimbo almost hired him at A&M. So I think that's that's probably in place, and they're going to save a lot of money, be able to anchor down some of those coaches with like longer-term contracts, keep more stability in place for the future. And also, we've heard several reports, like Cheney, Cheney always apparently wanted to be back in Knoxville. He really loved his time there, blah, 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 blah. Now, here's the thing. I don't think... That like the Georgia fans that are like scoffing at this, there's no reason to be super concerned. I will say that. That's fair. But there's That's also fair. the the whole like, whatever, dude, keep them. I don't want them. Y'all haven't liked an offensive coordinator since I've been in this state watching college football. You didn't like Bobo. God dang it, Bobo! I was waiting for for you. Schottenheimer to say that. ruined your entire happen. program for like two years. Schottenheimer changed the landscape of of the SEC East and and maybe the SEC in general. Maybe, college, maybe the world. 
Whoa. Not really, but Schottenheimer, he did some damage in his one, one year and short time there. But y'all haven't liked an offensive coordinator ever, ever. So you just be careful with who you get because you know you're not going to – I saw one guy who's – I'm a big fan of his. I'm just going to go – he's going to remain nameless. But he's like, he better not be afraid to throw screens. If that's your biggest concern going in – I mean, it's just – you guys are so nitpicky sometimes. Now, I think that you guys will hire the right choice. I wouldn't – but just, just realize there's some self-reflection. You guys haven't liked the offensive coordinator you've ever had. And this guy was able to put up some ridiculous numbers this past season. Let's not forget that Georgia had the nation's number 14 scoring offense. And while it was frustrating at times, and while your last note kind of leaves a, a bad taste in your mouth with, with Jim Chaney, the way that he got dominated by uh, Orlando, the defensive coordinator uh, for, yeah. for Texas, I, I don't think that coordinators who – just have consecutive top 20 offenses grow on trees. I think that's a little bit tougher that's to come a by. That's tree. That's, I mean, look at Tennessee. Tennessee just had the number 109 scoring offense. They were 118 the year before that. And their offensive coordinator actually went and got a head coaching job, which that's the world we live in today. Um, Wait, what? Yeah. I mean, because that's, that's the whole reason that Tyson Helton was oh made God, this, this job available because he got the Western Kentucky job. So if you're Tennessee, this is obviously an upgrade. Um, yeah. Anything Whether or not it's what happened last year. Yeah, I mean, Phil Fulmer, the the gift that Tennessee Athletics tweeted out where they got the sunglasses slide down on, on Fulmer. Deal All right, it. I get it. I get it. I get the marketing standpoint. And Tennessee, to its credit, didn't panic. And I think that because we everybody in the and their mother was, was making fun of Tennessee for this coaching search, including us, because it's very rare in the early signing period to just say, you know what, offensive coordinator? Nah, whatever. Not worried, we're, dude. we're not, not worried. Do you remember we're what we did last year? Hell, that worked out pretty fine. Only took 11 interviews. But I think it speaks to how seriously, actually, on the flip side, I think it speaks to how seriously Jeremy Pruitt is taking this because yeah. this is a hire that could define his time in Knoxville. <laughs> and if you decide... We're get, we, we just need to get somebody in here before the early signing period. We need to get somebody in here, get somebody out on the road recruiting, yeah. do whatever we can. Then maybe you make the wrong hire. And Jeremy Pruitt came out and said, we were waiting to see what was going to happen with NFL coaches. And we talked about the Steve Sarkeesian thing, and that obviously didn't happen. But still, you wait for maybe guys like him to kind of to shake out from the, the coaching carousel. And then you wait for what this bowl season is going to become, which yeah. is, you know, Places like Georgia, where all of a sudden you have this coordinator who fans are obviously not thrilled about, and you don't feel that inclined to keep him and extend him and give him a raise, and all of a sudden he becomes more available than you thought before. So, in hindsight, not the worst move in the world if you're Jeremy Pruitt to wait like he did, and I think now it sort of justifies his whole process all along where he was getting asked throughout this, like, when are you going to make this hire? When are you going to make this hire? And credit to him for not just saying, we're going to throw a a million dollars at this guy and and whatever. That's, that's all we're going to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, and for, I get why Tennessee is so excited about it because for a program that, you know, they had a few big wins. They did beat two ranked teams and all that kind of stuff. They beat Kentucky, they beat Auburn. There were some good moments in his first year, but for a team that has not had a lot of wins, Recently, this feels like a victory. Being able to get no doubt uh, somebody away from like one of your division rivals that's beat your brains in for the past couple of years. I am uh, so Kiff, Kiffin came out and said this was a grand slam to bring Cheney back to Knoxville. And you know what, Jim Cheney, I somebody t- I can't remember who tweeted out the video 
Um, but it resurfaced where, you know, the video where he leaves after he was interim coach in 2012. Yeah. Uh, you know, he worked on Derek Dooley's staff. He worked on, on Kiffin's staff there. And he said, yeah, I mean, I'd be open to the idea of coming back to Knoxville. Of course, you know, he, he loved his time there. And then sure enough, he ends up getting this opportunity. And it made so much sense for him to want to do this yeah. to get kind of a fresh start to get a whole lot of money uh, at a place that's going through a rebuild where you're going to have some time. And even if you just finish with a mediocre offense, they're not going to bash you. So expectations a little bit different. Um, very favorable situation. Speaking of the NFL thing, by the way, can we just I, – I put this on Twitter last night. This is like – like if you get an NFL job, it's like being in the mob. Like you, you're made. You don't – I mean, it's crazy. You can, like there were several coaches that were fired from one job and then hired at another one. So like no matter so, how bad you are, you just keep it in your contract, dude. Like a Medea movie, it makes no sense to me. Like that would be well, this. Like Adam Gase got fired from the Dolphins, and then he gets hired by the Jets. What are we doing? Yeah, the NFL's got some weird standards for that. Um, makes sense. Again, the Cliff Kingsbury thing. Um, so I think two two other things I want to get to here. One, I think now this rivalry is maybe more interesting than what we thought it could be if you go back to uh, the comments made by our good friend Aaron Murray, who called out Jeremy Pruitt basically during media days and said yeah. that he doesn't think he's cut out to be a head coach. And if you kind of just look at what this has become, which is two guys, you know, they're two highest paid coaches at Tennessee that now have a strong will to beat Georgia and to get on that level. I still think we're probably at least two years away from this being like some sort of fun back and forth where it's going to actually be like, oh, you know, we can keep it within a touchdown. But, you know, people forget well, Tennessee stayed within. This, this is true. This is true. Tennessee did stay within 12 points with five minutes left in that game. So that's for what it is. Um, but I think that this this is a defining time for, for Kirby Smart. And I know that some Georgia fans are going to look at this loss and say, yeah, it's, it's nothing. But look at what this loss has followed. Kirby loses both coordinators this offseason who both take, you know, promotion jobs, yeah. um, you know, in terms of pay, in terms of, you know, with Mel Tucker going to, to Colorado. Um, and you look at the all the talent that you, that you lost on that roster, all the early uh, draft entries that you have, and then you, lose your fi- you also lose your five-star quarterback in Justin Fields. And it's like you lose all of this from your place and going into year four, this is a big moment for you as a head coach, and nobody's feeling bad for Kirby Smart because I know he's not. recruited well, but this is such a key moment in his tenure and whether or not he's really going to be able to make this thing go. And I tell you what, as, and I love Kirby, and I've, I've, I've tried to be as nice to Georgia fans. That the sky's not falling. Everything's fine. But remember three years ago when your man, Kirby Smart, and I've, I'm so appreciative of the nine years he served on Saban's staff. It was awesome. It was great. I think he waited for the right opportunity. I think it all worked out the way it's supposed to. But when your boy leaves the Alabama facilities and takes a a picture on his iPhone of our recruiting board and immediately sends it out to all the recruits, says, this is where Alabama has you. This is what they think of you. You can come to Georgia and play right now. You wanted the big boy pants, Georgia. Now you got to put them on and go to work every day. I, I, like... I love, I love how the narrative has become, like, they're poaching our coaches. You guys wanted this. And he thought it was, like, funny, and it was just, that's how you got to recruit, and, like, all that kind of stuff. Man, I hope Mel Tucker did that to y'all. You know when, uh, in the office, when Dwight leaves Staples after that brief hiatus yeah. that he has, and he comes back, and uh, he's got, he stole all these leads They're going to let Staples. me wear my ties. <laughs> and uh, he's like, what was I going to do with the leads? I don't know. Um, 
that maybe use them for blackmail or I don't know, maybe use them. Right. <laughs> That's that was basically Kirby uh, with with that whole situation. Yeah, but, but like this is yeah, this is not. I don't think the sky is falling, but it's it's tough to. Now it is good. It is good that they have like all these new facilities. They've got a lot of talent coming in, so coaches are going to want to come be around that talent. But boy, you better hope so because it doesn't get any easier. It starts happening like this year in year out. Georgia has not lost a division game in the last two years, but I will say, at the very least, the SEC East is more interesting than it was at this time last year. Yeah, I'll say that. Tell us about your best friend of 2019. We need to get that trademarked. Yeah, Texas Pete. Well, we were talking about Cliff Kingsbury and how hot he is. And, you know, the only thing hotter than Cliff <laughs> Kingsbury this offseason is Texas Pete. And, of course, my takes. Regardless, make sure you head out today and get some Texas Pete. I know Saturdays and tailgating are kind of over. We talked about some different ideas, though, didn't we, Connor? Email tailgating. E- email gating. Sure. Sailgating. Railgating. Maybe you're going to the well. Palegating. I don't know. Oh, can you imagine a Texas Pete well? Just a well of Texas Pete. That's just all right. You know what? We got some things to talk You're about. You're getting later. sidetracked here. Yeah. Yeah, I am, obviously. But regardless, make sure Texas Pete is still part of your game day routine, even though we are in the offseason. There's other events you can use it for. There's basketball season. There's Taco Tuesday. There's a lot of things. Make sure you go to TexasPete.com slash tailgating. Check out some great recipes, all that good stuff. I know it's still gonna be a part of my offseason. A lot of creatine, a lot of Texas Pete. Maybe together. You gotta bulk up. Only three hundred and sixty four more days next hockey season. Gotta toughen up. Regardless, go get some Texas Pete today. It's a great reference, Mr. Happy Gilmore. Thank great you. reference. Thank you. That's all I wanted. Shout out Bob Barker. Um, Man, Cliff Kingsbury really should be the, the, the spokesperson for Texas Pete, huh? He's going to have some, some advertising opportunities in, in the very the same. near future. Yeah, very, very similar. Um, you came up with some year-end superlatives for the SEC. I'm interested to see what you've done with this because I can't see this. This yeah, isn't even in I our notes. It's a mystery. So I'm going to okay. be, I'm along with everybody else who's listening to this for the first time. I am, I'm, I'm very much on board for, for the ride right now. I have got out my fiance's yearbook, as you can see. She went to Beaverton High School in Beaverton, Oregon. Can't make this up. The Beaverton Beavers. That's a real thing. I know one of you is going to say something inappropriate, so just go ahead and throw it out there. Regardless, I've got a couple of year-end superlatives from around the SEC. And, you know, we'd like to hear your thoughts on this, too. So you guys make sure to hit us up on Twitter um, and all that good stuff. So, Connor, first one I'm going to go over. Class Clown. This one's simple. Class Clown. Hmm. So I finished fifth in my high school class clown. I would expect higher for you. That's yeah, really I did, too, good. to be honest. I finished fifth in that and fourth most talkative. So I was pretty yeah. disappointed in myself. I would expect higher for you. For both, right? Well. Yeah. yeah, so for Class Clown, I got Benny Snell. Easy. I don't think that was like that much in question. He was always like pretty funny. He had the whole Waffle House uh, audio clip earlier in the year when I was wondering if anybody had recognized him. He's like, oh, yeah, they recognize me at Waffle House now. Um, so that's what I have for Class Clown. Biggest flirt. I'm going to say Gus Malzahn. Ooh, I like that. he was flirting with disaster for most of the season. And he flirted with Arkansas last year. And he flirted with Arkansas again last year. See, Bobby Petrino is like the, the all-time. Yeah. Oh, you, for this one. He's he, you can't give him the award. It's it's like Saban with the Coach of the Year award. I mean, yeah. I know this year Dabo would win it, but or like LeBron with the MVP. You just you can't do it every single year because it's like right. all right, you gotta give somebody else a chance. But Agreed. yeah, I mean, Petrino. Yeah, not even close. Um, most likely to succeed. 
Josh Allen. Oh yeah. Next yeah. level. I mean, I think like he's he was so good for most of the year. I think like going into the draft, he seems like the the out of especially out of the draft class, or maybe Jonah Williams is probably a close runner up. Who hasn't like, declared for the draft yet, but we assume that he's going to. He was like he's, one of the few bright spots of that national title game. He yelled his own. dominant. Yeah. Um, Josh Allen, by the way, I saw CBS Sports had him at number two in their mock really? draft. Number two. That's pretty amazing. I'm hoping that enough um, that national championship was embarrassing enough for most of the Bama early, early. Uh, what do you call it? Hey, Raquan Davis coming back. I know it's pretty pretty great. Hopefully, he doesn't Big shoot himself time. in the leg in the offseason. Most talented. Most talented. Are you ready for this? How high did you finish in this in your your, your high school? Oh, uh, I think I was. We had seven hundred and thirty seven hundred and fifty six total students in my senior class, and I think I was three ninety four. That's that's a big ways down. Yeah, that's like yeah. you and Bull Mania, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. It's about yeah. the same thing. I would say <laughs> so. Most talented, I am gonna say. It's a tough one, but I got AJ Brown. Oh, he was kind of like okay. the the Kyler Murray of this. I mean, like. He was such a good receiver, and he's so big and physical, and, and he came to play a pretty – well, he had a couple – he didn't do that well in SEC play in terms of touchdowns. However, he's also a potential first-round draft pick in Major League Baseball. Wow. <coughs> Fun fact. Most Wait, likely – Wait, that, has that discussion been had? Because I know everybody's talking about Kyler Murray right now. Yeah, of talked about what, almost every time he was – almost every old Miss game. No, of like what what he's gonna do. I'm saying of like right now at this oh. point in his career, like if he's made because I I just I assumed he's going to the NFL. Like I haven't I knew that the I baseball thing have. was there, but yeah, I don't, actually I haven't heard anything lately about it. But I mean, he was already drafted, I think, out of high school. But like he he's like talented enough to where he could still play, and I think probably I mean, like there's 50 rounds. I know that's true. Speaking of that, Jaron Jaron uh, Ely, I think I'm pronouncing his name wrong. The top Ole Miss um, commit actually dropped his commitment from Ole Miss. He's supposed oh, yeah, to be a, to Clemson. Uh, I've heard Clemson. I've also heard Mississippi State. I've also, and then you know, it's the baseball thing too. He's like the number four overall. He's like the number four overall prospect or something Dude, like that. Go play baseball. I, Look at Chris Winkie. Football will still always be there. You could still. Win a Heisman at 29, that's almost my age. That's, that's older than you. He won a Heisman and then still played in the NFL. That's crazy. I, I still got eligibility left. Yeah. I mean, go, dude, baseball money is guaranteed. Dan Ugla uh, was paid $75 million. Yes, it is. Dan Ugla is not a, not a draft pick, though. That's the difference. We could argue with the Kyler Murray yeah. stuff all day, but it's... I mean, yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, so that's my most talented. Most likely to be your boss. I'm going to go Kyle Shermer. Okay, explain Quarterback, that. Quarterback, went to Vanderbilt. I mean. Is it just because Vandy? Yeah, it is, 100%. Okay. I mean, yeah, he will right. have, like, if he goes into any kind of enterprise rent a car and puts his resume down, boom. Guess who's working 60 hours a week right out of college? Kyle Shermer's getting that job. And his dad is also the boss of the New York Giants in a way because he's coached them, so. I hope he still goes to enterprise rent a car because they give you the tools to be your own boss. Is that from Ted? No, that's from, um, he, I think he worked in enterprise in Ted, but it was, uh. What is it from? Dang it. Uh, Step Brothers. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Good point. All right. Um, best all around. Me. I think I had the best season. Um, being a journalist. I'm kidding. That's wow. Kidding. I'm not going to be best all around because I did most talented. Life of the party. This was pretty simple. You. It's Coach O. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Hands down. Easy. Hands down. Um, yeah, that's all, that's all I got. That, those are all the pros. I like Life of the party things. is definitely, definitely Coach O, though. Who's making the funniest face in, in a yearbook photo? Um, Who's in like the wacky face? Yeah. 
Uh, that's probably, that's tough. Um, we know Cash Daniel has the best mean mug, probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I wanted to put him down for something, but he's so, like, he gets so serious. He was out there been... fishing for trout, like, the day before the, the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. He, oh, he joined the bass fishing team. Did you see that at Kentucky? Hey, that's, that's, like, not a joke. Like, they yeah, have actual he's, he's fishing teams that are, like, they get weird shirts and they, they compete. I think Auburn was ranked, like, number one. Jake Fromm was doing it last year. Professional bass fishing, bass fishing contest. He was he's part of it. I don't know if he's allowed to collect on the winnings or how that works, but but the teams though, like, that's like yeah. that's like an actual sport. Remember, Kentucky had the number one rifle team in the country. They won the national championship. As everybody knows. Yeah, they beat Army, which is a problem. That's a problem for us. Oh yeah. We might another another topic for another day. But anyway, work on that. I want to get you to go over your favorite moments for every SC team, and then I will tell you why you're right or wrong. All right, so. Keep in mind, this isn't necessarily the top moment, like the moment to shine. It's just the moment that provided me probably the most entertainment, and maybe I had a little bit of a bias if I was there to witness it. That's fair. That's a nice way to go into the first one, which we were there. Are we going to do our favorite moments in the season, top five? I mean, mine are kind of all in. Mine are kind of all in here. If if you want to pick from these, or you want to pick your own, individually, like me and you, top five moments of the year, like together, together as 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 podcast hosts. No, just in general, like as an individual, what were your favorite parts from the season? That's what you had here? All right, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. We'll we'll get to that another time. First one, the one that we saw, the one that I pretty much had all your video reactions to, Jalen Hurts scores the game-winning touchdown uh, in the SEC championship. Made for Hollywood script. Bama's best moment of the year. We will look back on the 2018 season for Bama. That will be remembered um, in a higher regard than winning the Orange Bowl and getting to the national championship. Yeah. In many ways, um, that 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 speaks for itself. What Jalen Hurts has has done that that moment will forever make him an Alabama legend, and it was just the type of stuff that even Saban couldn't couldn't believe it. I was also um, throwing there Dixie Landelight at Auburn. That was pretty fun. Reverse Auburn. You experienced that. That's yeah. this is true. This is true. Good. You enjoyed that very much. Um, Arkansas. You already know it. It's it's the botched option. Collision. Whether that was a pop pass, reverse, whatever the heck that play was against LSU was one of the worst plays in organized football that I have ever seen in my life. Um, I, I tweeted the video out a little while ago. I have never got more interaction off a tweet than that video. Um, sick brag to me. That was so horrendous, but it summed up their season so much. And I promise Arkansas fans, it's going to get better. I would say it mine is... Ty Story being named quarterback. That was, story big, of that was big for me. Um, yeah. yeah. My least favorite, hands down, was um, when they backed to recover the spread against Alabama. That really frustrated me. That was a, how, how much time was left, too, when they when 17 they seconds. Yeah. yeah, not a lot of time. People don't forget. <sighs> you definitely don't forget. That's for no. sure. Auburn. Jatarvius, a.k.a. Booby Whitlow. Uh, when he had the fumble in the game against Alabama State in week two, and afterwards the video goes viral of his mom making him do 50 push-ups. It is so perfect, so SEC. I, uh, I, he I loved it. He fumbled a lot the rest of the year. He fumbled twice the rest of the season. That's it? Okay. He only so fumbled they... twice. He only lost one. Okay. And actually, it. one of his fumbles came in the game against Ole Miss when he had 170 yards rushing. Yeah, so, yeah he looked them up. Yeah. Probably had um, to do some push-ups after that too. But my favorite Auburn moment was was when Easy against now. Georgia. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. I was going to say the Music City Bowl because that was cool to see 
them kind of bounce back and kind of end towards like you know end on a good note because it got bad there for a while. But when when uh, Gus Malzahn said the whole thing about probably gonna fire me now, that was. I think, but we don't know what he said though. Uh, That's the you know, problem. It I, was funny though. The reaction to it was funny. It was a college football Mad Lib, <coughs> and we ultimately don't know what was said before. So yeah. I didn't. I couldn't include something like that. But that is it's it still a great you. moment. It's a it's a great mystery. One of college football's great mysteries. All right, the next one, Florida. The loudest moment that I have ever heard in a stadium after that pick yeah. six against LSU. I was there. You said I was prisoner of the moment, and it's not prisoner of the moment because three months later, I'm still saying that that was the loudest moment I have ever heard in a stadium when Brad Stewart picks off Joe Burrow's pass and takes it to the house. They throw the football up into the stands, and the swamp erupts. It was unreal. Yes, that was good. That was that was probably the moment of the year. The only other thing that could even hold a candle to that, I would say, was, um, let's see, what they did against Michigan was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think though, just for the, the home crowd having them there. Oh no, your moment's better. That. I'm just saying, like that's like, expounding on that. The worst moment was was Danny was uh Dan Mullen dancing hands down. That was. I almost I'll, never, that the I'll best. never forget that. Good God, he's such a bad dancer. Felipe had the ultimate dad. Come on, just do dad, stop, stop being such a dork. Yeah, stop. Um. All right, Georgia. Had a lot to choose from, but I went in a different direction here. I went way back to week two. Yeah, that's good. Debo Samuel has the comments before the game. He, he doesn't know who DeAndre Baker is. Uh, Debo Samuel, you should probably know who DeAndre Baker is because he's going to be lined up across from you, and he was a preseason first-team All-American. And sure enough, DeAndre Baker gets the interception, and you know he drops the ball on the goal line, but he ends up holding Debo to like 33 yards, and then he had the, the you know he trolls Debo about you know yeah. Debo I know is from Friday, and he's like I think I knew, he knows who I am now. That was the the moment that was caught on video after the game. I can't remember who tweeted that out, but just a very great moment for uh, a guy that's going to be we assume a top 15, oh, top yeah. 20 pick in the yeah. draft. I would yeah. My so my favorite moment, and I know it didn't work out. They didn't win. I think they've lost both games they played since it happened. Regardless. I remember watching this video the Friday night after we did our um, live podcast at Sports and Social the night before the SEC Championship game. And it was the video that came out of Kirby Smart. And he was like, God dang it, I want you to eat. Because I want to eat. And I want you to eat. And he's like lighting the place up with cuss words. And oh, I got goosebumps just thinking about it. And I know it didn't work out the next day. But that was still electric stuff from Kirby. I love that. It was. It was. Um, for Kentucky, a lot of moments to choose from. A lot of moments. You just changed it. I just changed it because I realized... Th- that I had the wrong game cited. So, oh, now, okay, now I get it. Yeah, you had to change it from to this team. Yeah. So originally, I had the Florida game. Uh, Benny Snell is. I think he had a a soundbite where he and Josh Allen were talking to Cole Kubelak or something like that. He's like, I, "I'm so glad to see you" or something like that. But the moment that I'm actually changing it to was after Kentucky beat Mississippi State, and it was the ultimate like, "We're here." We're, we're on the scene, we deserve to be ranked, we're legit, all that. Yeah. And Benny Snell like, looks into the camera, like looks into months. the SEC Network camera, he's like, I'm, I told y'all to believe in us, like, I love my teammates, I'm here for them, let's go! And then he, and then he runs off. And it was like this four second soundbite that was like, it was almost like a Muhammad Ali type thing. And yeah. I'm not saying that he's you know, on the same level or anything like that, but just the, the bravado of which 
that was was said was so perfect. And if you could describe Kentucky's season in like a four second clip, that was it right there. So I, I, I just I love that you changed the Benny Snell moment from being from Florida to Mississippi State. Just let me say that. That How was the bigger moment because it's Mississippi State. I mean, I'm just saying it was but, it was it was a great great performance from it, a game that he has four touchdowns too, and like yeah. Benny Best, Snell when he's got adrenaline going is maybe my favorite human being in college football at least in 2018. That's right. My favorite was them ending a 30 plus year drought in the swamp, and afterwards cashing under the Stone Cold Steve Austin with the water bottles. That was pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. This next one's tough. This next one's really tough. Really, really tough. I debated. I went back and forth with this. But I settled on, this is LSU. This is Coach O, our guy, shutting practice down twice. When they're preparing, they're preparing for the Fiesta Bowl, and if you, by now you've probably seen it. Um, everybody's seen it. Where in the middle of the press conference, they're having it on the indoor practice field, and he stops and says, hold on a minute. And then he goes over and says, I'm trying to have a press conference right now. And then turns around and comes back and then continues right where he left off. And then, like, not very long after, does the same exact thing and goes and yells at players who are being, like, loud and rowdy. Every one of those kids is either in the transfer portal or witness protection right now. Guaranteed. Um, My favorite moment came from the Auburn game. When he came in. First off, the one one gif and moment he's like, oh, we coming. We ain't backing down. But the one where he came in, this was just like, I got so fired up and I still still am thinking about it. And it's not because it was against Auburn. It's because when they came in, I didn't think they were going to win the game. I thought Auburn was going to blow them out. I put a lot yep. of money on them blowing them out. You remember because we were in Oxford when it happened. Yep. I When he came into the locker room and somebody was like, F them. And he was talking about, they were talking about the media from what I heard. Like, because no one gave him a chance. And he was like, F them. They weren't uh, talking about us. Yeah, other they media. About us. But yeah, it was right. awesome. It was awesome to seem like, yup. And you could just get a real sense like at that moment, that right then, that those players had his back, and he definitely had, had their back. It was like you could tell how cohesive they were and how much they really cared about each other by saying the F word out loud a lot. <laughs> That's how I show love, too. Go judge was, it, no. was it Devin White who put that on Instagram or Snapchat or something? Somebody. I think it was. It I was mean, good. Like, and it, since it's Devin White, like that's not going to get taken down. That's fine. Yeah. No, he doesn't care. Definitely can do no wrong. Mississippi State, I, probably not as many moments that I would have no, liked. No, Connor, don't from. say that. Come on. I'm sure there's a whole plethora of them. Joe Moorhead after the Egg Bowl where he's on the field. And I think in many ways this was Joe Moorhead's welcome to the SEC moment. And it was a video that caught him having some choice words for the old Miss Deputy AD. Deputy AD. I think it was Michael Thompson. I think that's What's his name. Deputy AD. I don't know. It's somebody in the athletic office who has did the drug the the drug test at the office when they found a joint in the parking lot. Volunteer deputy sheriff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that Joe Moorhead saying, you know, like he was trying to break up the melee that was going on between Ole Miss and Mississippi State players, where um, apparently this Ole Miss deputy AD had stepped in the middle of a Mississippi State celebration, and then Joe Moorhead is like, you know, trying to, is like cursing this guy guy out, and he's like. You know, their effing loudmouth AD, you know, started all this. And then after the post-game press conference, he basically says, like, I teach my players to play with class, but, you know, I told them don't take any you-know-what from, from anybody. Yeah. And it was like Joe Moorhead finally got it in that moment. So, and I, and I know it's going to shock you, I actually 100% fully agree with this one. Amen. Yeah, I mean, Amen. He, it was awesome to watch because, like, I thought going to that game, 
almost had that offense that just, like, they won last year. I know Nick Fitzgerald was hurt. But, like, going into that game, that meant a lot, I think, to Ole Miss. I thought it did, even though they had the whole BOGO with the tickets, which was <sighs> interesting. But I thought Ole Miss would put up some points. I really did. And Mississippi State come in there, shut them down. They get into the almost fight a couple times. That You could tell that he got it at the end. At the end. I think you're right. Mizzou. They had, you could go, you could look at the Florida game. I don't know if there's really one specific moment in that game that kind of stands out. That obviously was their best win of the year. But the moment to me that I thought was coolest was Drew Locke on Black Friday, final home game of his storied career. It's pouring rain against Arkansas. It's like nine minutes left and they're, you know, the game is over. And Barry Odom pulls him out of the game so that he can get a, a standing ovation from the, from the, the home crowd. And it was really cool. And it kind of makes you realize that not a lot of people get an ovation like that. Yeah. And it's different when it's on senior day or something like that. And everybody, you know, everybody claps for every single senior. But to get a moment like that where you have the home fans that just say, like, thank you. And here's a kid who stayed for his senior season when he could have gone to the NFL and he could be he could be a millionaire right now. And instead, he decided to stick it out and stay with this team. And he fought to the end, too. This is a team that gets off to an 0-4 start in conference play. He could have just mailed it in and decided, you know what, I, I just want to – I'm going to go pack it in the rest of the season. I'm, I'm worried about my NFL draft stock. He didn't do that. They finish off the season winning their final four regular season games, and he gets that moment. I just thought that was a really cool tribute yeah. to somebody who has meant so much to that program after what they went through with Gary Pinkle and not that whole fallout. Mine was Tennessee. Mine was beating Tennessee 50-17 to 17 for the second straight year because Tennessee had just beaten Kentucky. This is a road game. I know we've talked about how good Mizzou's been in November and all that kind of stuff. They had just beaten Florida. But they came in, I think they were favored? Like three and a half or six and a half or something like that. But to go on the road in Knoxville, like think about this for Mizzou fans. Mizzou fans get crapped on all the time because people talk about how you know, like, like they don't belong in the SEC. Why are they even in the SEC East? They were able to go into Knoxville while they were coming off this big win and say, like, just another routine, casual 50-17 to 17 win over, you know, a, a traditional power in the SEC. I thought that was pretty cool. Big, Yeah, big for Mizzou to be able to win at Florida, at Tennessee this year. I think yeah. uh, that's, that's very significant in terms of the whole fitting into the SEC uh, narrative. All right, Ole Miss, we were there for this. You remember your reaction to this play. I, I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and I'm sorry, Ole Miss fans. I'm, I'm sorry. But this moment was great because you start off the Alabama game, and all the talk coming in was, what is this Ole Miss passing game going to be able to do against this inexperienced Alabama secondary? Remember when a month before the season when you threw that upset out there, and then yeah. but you, you backtracked and you, you came to your senses and realized <sighs> that, all right, this, this is not going to happen. And so Ole Miss comes out and boom, first play, DK Metcalf, 75-yard touchdown. Vaughn Hemingway is on its feet. Everybody's going freaking nuts. Oh, is Ole Miss going to have a chance? Is, is Ole Miss going to have a chance to win this game? Oh, my gosh, what if they could beat Bama again? And then Bama scores 62 unanswered points. That and fun. that was the last we heard of that the Ole Miss offense. was good. Oh, that's come on I'm now. kidding. No. So for me, for me, it was at the end of the season when Matt Luke was able to – he came back up. He manned up and admitted where they had, they had fallen short as a team and as a program and kind of addressed the nation, so to speak, and was able to tell Ole Miss like, fans and everyone, like, this is my plan, this is what we're going to do. I, this was unacceptable how we did this this past year. This is what we're going to do moving forward. I can go into a kid's home now, that sounds weird, and tell them that, you know, 
we we can go to bowl games. We can do this. We can do that. Like I'm able to fully use like the Ole Miss brand that he knows and loves so much. So that was my that was my moment for them. Let's move on to South Carolina. Same. One of you know when people look back on like the games of the year in college football, I I don't know if this game got enough love. It, it should have gotten more so because it was such a fun, entertaining game for the early slate uh, in early October. Two teams that you know, let's be honest, we we didn't think at the time uh, were going to be down to the wire competing yeah. for a division title, and sure enough, they finished four and four. But that South Carolina Mizzou game in Columbia was the other Columbia, uh, the one in South Carolina, the hottest place on earth. Cold um, yeah, there we go. Where it's just pouring rain, and it looks like everybody is just just dealing with this like hurricane around okay, them. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Muschamp looks like a wet dog, and he's yelling his face off. And and South Carolina has this big comeback, and then the weather you know gets better, and then you know I think it was um, two um, rain can delays. The, yeah two rain delays, not one but two. two. Rain, they came they came started at noon, ended at like five thirty or six. I, yeah, that's because I was at, I was at the LSU Florida game that day. Yeah, and it was exactly halftime. Right. It was like right after halftime. I want to say of the other game. And you know, Mizzou gets this big fifty-seven-yard field goal to take the lead. Not enough was ever made about that. Oh, that was unreal. It, that's one of the plays of the year if that if that holds. But that obviously didn't end up happening because Michael Scarn, rest Dude. in peace. He's alive, but not as the starter. Real quick though, this, this, the McCann thing to put that in perspective because I watched that that game. Not in its entirety, but that was that for the second hour-long rain delay. They come back out, they resume play. It's third down. They immediately throw like an incomplete pass or something like that, or they don't get the first down. So they go one play back into the game. There's like less than two minutes to go, and McCann just comes up and hits a 57-yarder. It's just like no not deal. cold, not not tight, nothing. Just boom in the in the pouring rain. And you know that's also the game where they had four or so drop passes in in the end zone in the first half alone. That was crazy. That was a good game, though. It was an awesome game. And a big moment for, for South Carolina in a season that was just so up and down. You never really felt like uh, there was really any sort of continuity. We talked about the, the fact that they won two games. They, they had a winning streak once. And that was it all year. But that, that moment was, was huge for them. Tennessee. I know we talked about it earlier. Um, you know, you can go point to the Auburn win. Uh, you could point to the Kentucky win. I went in a different direction. I think... Watching how emotional Jeremy Pruitt got after the Georgia game was big. Yeah. Because I think he saw the fruits of his labor start to, you know, really be on display. And let's keep in mind that up to that point, you know, they got, they got embarrassed against Florida. They had guys running off the field and quitting in the middle of games. And it was still this this selling of this, of this, this process that Jeremy Pruitt preaches about. And to see him, a guy who's you know very you know pretty stoic dude, not necessarily the most like emotional you know sentimental type guy. You know he's just not that's just not his thing. And seeing him get choked up about the effort that his team put in against Georgia, I thought was a cool moment for Tennessee fans when they knew coming into this year, you're not talking about a division title this year. You're hoping to get to a bowl game, and even though that didn't happen, there were still little moments like this that if we look back on the Jeremy Pruitt era. And if this is a success, we're going to look back on that moment as kind of being like the all right. This this is where things really sort of started to to kind of go in the right direction. Mine was when they stole Jim Cheney from Georgia as their offensive coordinator. <laughs> um, no, my moment was when they beat Kentucky because that was like they beat, they went on the road and beat Auburn. It was like one of those things like is this a fluke? It's a noon game. Was Auburn not ready? Blah blah blah. 
And I know that after after the Kentucky game is when they were they had just gotten beat by Georgia, so Kentucky was kind of reeling and like you know things had kind of fallen apart. But that's still such a huge win to have in your first year, and be able to beat Kentucky. That was um, at home and like kind of get like because I'm not one of those people that says like I hate when people say this before like you know like, football's better or, like this is better when Tennessee's great. I grew up with them being great. It was not great for me. Um, but Neyland Stadium. When that place is, like, rocking again, that is great for football. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I could have picked a lot of great moments here. Uh, there, was, there were some awesome I'm moments during the season. This is the one you picked. I picked this one because it provided me the most, it provided me the most entertainment. Okay. Jimbo's nephew, after the seven-overtime game against LSU to end the regular season, thinks that he can take Kevin Falk. And the picture, the picture that that goes viral from uh, Hillary Chinook, Chinook. I'm sorry if I'm Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank of NOLA.com, doing a different line of work. Yeah, is Hillary Swank hot or not hot? The the great debate. She tweets out this photo, and it hits everywhere everybody's talking about it and it was fun because it was at like 1 or 1 30 in the morning because of how late this game ran and everybody's like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute are we this is this is happening like this is a real thing that this isn't like some photoshop thing i remember twitter like twitter was very fun with all the different comments that came from this photo and i just i loved seeing some of the fallout of this after where somebody tweeted out a video of um jimbo's nephew cole by the way uh, going over to Jimbo and telling him, look, I, I think I just got into something really bad. I just started this big fight. And you see Jimbo's face afterwards, and he's like, you idiot. You idiot. <laughs> Kevin Falk's a big man. You don't want to mess with him. Moral of the story. Yeah, I agree. But yeah. Mine was a uh, Zapruder film, and the pylon came after the Clemson game. Oh, okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. Excuse me, guys. I'm starting to get all You're this. You're dying. I'm, I mean, it's just, I don't know what happened. But, um, yeah, sorry about that. No, my moment is definitely the Zapruder film. And because and, that was like the first moment. A&M had a great season. They did a lot of good things. But that was the first moment they were able to sit there as, as a collective fan base and say, we're the best blank loss team in the country. No matter how many <laughs> losses they get, we're the best one loss team. We're the best two loss team. We're the best four loss team. That was that was a really big moment for them to be able to do that, and that was like that was only the start. There were several more losses after that that they were able to you know kind of piggyback off that. But that Zapruder film from the the pylon cam, where I didn't think it was even close that they were in the wrong. I thought Clemson, I thought it was, should have gone in Clemson's favor. That was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And then the whole debate after that, where I I asked the question of should we get rid of the fumble out of the out of bounds in the end yeah. zone rule, and certain people seem to think that that rule was like. Oh my gosh! You have to have that rule in place. How could you? How could you not? And watch, watch when it happens in the playoffs and in the NFL oh, yeah. playoffs, and everybody freaks out about it. Just saying, throwing it out there. Um, all right, last one. It's Vandy. Last moment of the regular season for Vandy. You crushed Tennessee. Derek Mason is very familiar with that now. <sighs> yeah. It's what and they he do. rides. And he rides the horse. And he has the post-game celebration where he's dancing, he's riding the horse, and you're just like, man, this guy is so happy right now. I went back and I watched the video from two years ago, from two years ago where Vandy beats Tennessee, and he like freaked out after that was the game. Awesome. He was he was like yelling. It was it was so uncensored, like this perfect raw emotion. Yeah. And Derek Mason beating Tennessee, I want to get to that kind of happy very soon. 
because it's very tough to get to that level just of you, happy. General, just me in general over yeah. like a sports thing. I'm very bitter after the whole Cody Parkey. You should have seen my buddy, man. You should have seen my buddy at the Clemson Bama game. That was awesome. That's Derek Mason riding the horse joy, happy, man. It's just like that's kind of how I was like after the Bama S- the SEC championship game, or like yeah, last year, second twenty six. That was cool. But I mean, everyone has their moments. Like you'll you'll have your moment. I should have been wearing my Cubs World Series hat today. I Why not to do that? Um, all right, those are our favorite moments of the year. Uh, tweet at us what we forgot at the STS Pod. I'm sorry and, to get and, you coughing. Yeah, you are. You yeah, are in tough a, one. San Francisco. Has not treated you very well, sir. Just the Bay Area in general. I don't want to say, just single was, out. I mean, San like, it ended up being a great weekend, but that was still like, like there were some tough moments. Real quick, one more thing before we get to it might mean too much. The way too early top twenty fives are out. It's my least favorite thing in sports. You love these. You I, love like it goes, it's this, and when like this isn't my least favorite thing. My least favorite thing is right after a game, and they, they do it every year to every sport. It's like, all right, Clemson's won. Does Clemson repeat next year as national champions? Like, yes, I think they do. You can't argue they can't. Like, what? They do it with Bama, does it? Like, Trevor Lawrence is the front runner for the Heisman. <clears throat> anyway, go on. It's getting choked up just talking about it. Totally. All right, ESPN, Marsh Labaugh had Bama at number two, Georgia at three, Florida seven, A&M at nine, LSU at 10, Mizzou at 22, yeah. and Auburn at 23. So that's seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven SEC teams. Who do you think is too high and who do you think was too low? From this group? From this group. Uh, I think Florida's too high because they lose a lot. Florida finished at number seven and then... But Florida will start in the top ten. I think that's that's pretty know, likely. Yeah, I don't think that's a very good move on the national media part. But it's um, just play ball. This isn't the national media. This is okay, just yeah. so I think that's way too high. I think we're caught up in the moment on that one. Um, too low. I would say Auburn because they return a lot on defense. I'm surprised a couple teams that are going to be like left out of there, like Kentucky. I don't know. They lose a lot, but still, like I, I, I think Auburn's too low, and I think Florida's too high. I'll tell you who's too low. From a national standpoint, is Oregon. Oregon's going to be real good next year. Based on all those points that they were able to score? Just, um, yeah, based off the, the one Fox bowl game, that's what I'm going to base off their entire next season. Based um, on the fact that they, they crapped sixth. on their they, – they basically crapped the bed in the second half of the season. Based on the fact that they have the best NFL draft prospect in the entire country, he's going to be their one overall pick. He came back for a senior season. They have Mario Cristobal to recruit. And There's they have a reason he came. There's a reason he came back. He wasn't going to be number one say. overall? Just, he struggled. He struggled. Sure, I'm sure um, he'll be number one overall. Kayvon Thibodeau, the number one recruit in ESPN, and they have a top five uh, recruiting class. Oregon's going to be really good next year. Let's just let's get it out there right now. Let's get a way-too-early prediction. Oregon-Auburn playing in the Cotton Bowl. Chris Marler, who do you got? Oregon. Oregon's going to be really, really good. I'm going to hold you to that. You should. All right. All right. Um, I think Georgia at three is too high. Um, no, what? I, I think Georgia, putting Georgia that high already, I understand we're – we are very much Jake Fromm supporters on this podcast. We believe in Georgia. We think that Georgia will be contenders year in, year out. I, I just think that, that for all that they lost, all those early draft Ooh. entries, I know – you, I, mean, I mean, you could go Holyfield. Hardman and, and Godwin and Holyfield and even Isaac Nada, somebody that you know not necessarily featured a, a ton in the receiving game, but they lose all of these guys. And, yeah, you get J.R. Reed back, and, yeah, you get Fromm and, and Swift – and we expect big things out of Zamir White, but I just think that we're still kind of in the early stages of this, and to assume that they're right there 
right there still at number three. I, I don't know. I, I still probably have, would have them in the top five. They're going to have – they get Notre Dame at home. they got to play A&M. That's, there's a lot of good matchups next year for SEC play, like on the road. Like George's got a fun schedule, very fun schedule A&M next year. A&M does not. I'll say that much. Yeah. Um, but I will say A&M has to go play Clemson, by the way, and George on the road, and LSU, and I think Auburn. Regardless, um, Georgia started 11 or 12 kids this year that were freshmen or sophomores. They have a top two recruiting class this year and last year. They lose Holyfield, they get Zamir White back. They're going to have the best offensive line in the country. They're going to have one of the best quarterbacks in the country. The defense will be improved because of all the people they're bringing in. Who they're bringing in on defense this year, I remember, I remember when they had Trent Thompson come in in 2015. He was like the number one or number two player in the country. And number was, one. It was number one overall. So, and they were talking about how he's going to be unleashed, and everyone's so excited about him. And he's not a bust per se, but kind of a bust. Um, they have the number one player in the country this year come, like coming out. from the. He's like a strong side defensive end. They get the number one inside linebacker coming. They have so much talent that can start coming in from this year and last year. They're going to be really good. Right. I, I'm not saying they can't finish at number three or anything like that, but yeah. I, I just think that's that because we're talking about a lot of this is is based on is based on returning talent. It's based on you know what what a team loses. I just think that that's that's still just kind of high for Samir them. But White. anyways, just remember that. I'm excited. I'm excited to see some Zamir White. And I'm excited to see James Cook, what he's able to do uh, in that offense. I think he's yeah. going to get some more opportunities in that backfield. All right. It might mean too much. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. It's time to troll Bama, according to everybody. Everybody and their mother yeah. that isn't rocking crimson. If our fans were such idiots all the time, this wouldn't happen. I didn't deserve yeah. it. Y'all did. Kind of asked for it. I missed this the other day. Little Debbie. Yes, that little Debbie. The one who make those famous oatmeal cream pies that your beloved Nick Saban has two of every single morning. Little Debbie tweets, We bake Nick Saban's oatmeal cream pies with an extra portion of love this morning. I mean, I feel, I feel like they probably just did it. I mean, that was, that was trolling. It was just nice. It's a good thing that Saban isn't on Twitter because that would be, oh, that'd be tough. All right. Charles Barkley. Man, the myth, the legend. Is Charles Barkley the most famous current Auburn alum? I know Bo Jackson. I'm not saying he's the best, but he's most probably, famous. He has in most terms FaceTime with the, with the nation. Yeah. I know, the guy from Apple, Tim Cook, is pretty famous. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, Charles Barkley, they got his live reaction on NBA on TNT, and it's this great video where he says, roll, and then he stops. Yeah. And he says, tie. And then he says, Thank you, Clemson. He's and he's praying, and then at the end of the video, uh, you get Keddy Smith saying in the background, uh, "What place did y'all come in?" That was and Chuck, yeah. Chuck just looks and is like, I "Didn't answer." Uh, we needed. I thought that, that was great. Our fans, our fans deserve this. But this was. I will say this too. This is the biggest win Georgia's had in, in a long time. <laughs> Them living through Clemson's national championship vicariously was amazing. To, the tweets about they were using like about how like Clemson just used a better use our game plan, they just use it more effectively. That is so weak. Ugh. I love it, though. I love the... Uh, it's all like they the, felt um, like they actually won it. Like, it was... It was, it was fun. Like, Mississippi State fans talking trash to me. Mississippi State? Did A&M... Did anybody... Were you seeing A&M fans coming out, too? And be like, oh, hey, that. we, we I hung saw, with Clemson. I thank God I didn't see that, no. But it was, it was funny because it was like... I mean, yeah, Bama fans deserve to hear this because... I've said it for a long time. We have the worst fans sometimes. We are obnoxious, arrogant, entitled, all that kind of stuff. Everyone thought we were just going to roll over. I told y'all it wasn't going to happen. So I told Allie last night, I was like, you know what? Maybe why I got so frustrated is because I don't feel like I deserve this. 
I feel like I made, I told y'all what was going to happen. I've, I've been to Clemson games. I've said it's my favorite environment of all time. I love Bama, but our fans can be terrible sometimes. All you idiots, this, we deserve it. We had to be humbled, and I had to be included in it because of you. That's deflection that. at its best. But Georgia, congrats <laughs> on your national championship. That was great. It was cool to see so many fans uh, beat us you know, from different teams. That was cool. Just go to Danny Cannell's Twitter page, and you'll find all sorts so of trolly comments. He was ecstatic. Uh, a, a great professional form of trolling. Josh Need, our buddy, SEC Shorts. That video was awesome. Basically yeah. had Bama like a victim in the hospital and all these different teams that Bama had beat coming up. Yeah, I mean, they, there's no way around it. We got, that's, that's what it, it looked like. They got It was so AB. good. Yeah. We, we posted that video uh, on SaturdayDownSouth.com. Definitely go check that out. Or check that out on his YouTube page, um, SEC Shorts. We have one, one five-star review to get to today. We have two. You, we got one. Oh, yeah, you we right. got one. We've got one uh, from, you're going to love this name, Dogs on Top 69. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, big, fam- big fan of Family Feud, obviously. Um, first time, long time. That's a radio show thing. Yeah. But it can be a podcast thing, too. Dogs on Top 69 says, Been listening to these boys for a while now, and they are my favorite football podcast by far. This pod really comes in handy uh, in the coming months when we have no college football to watch. Keep it up. Go dogs. I mean, yeah, he's right. Thanks, man. Because, I mean, like, this is the fun time now. We get, like, I mean, I don't have to be entrenched, and you don't have to be entrenched necessarily in all college football stuff. We just let that mind wander. That imagination come come out. No, that's the beauty. That's that's the beauty of SDS is we are are year-round. We're going to be providing all sorts of podcasts. We're going to try and do some different things. We have a lot of great stuff up on the site right now to kind of recap what Bama did this year, recap the entire SEC season as a whole, um, look, looking ahead to 2019 already. Oh, I got yeah, a story coming moments. out on we Sunday. Well, oh yeah, what was your? My, so my like I, I was I tweeted this out the other day, and I just want to like now I know we've already like wrapped up the season, but I was like looking at the season as a whole. The bucket list stuff that I was able to check off this year was incredible. Like just this season, I saw the Grove. I went to the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I went to the College Football Award Show. I went to the Iron Bowl, SEC Championship, Orange Bowl, and the National Championship in one year. That was the best, man. The Grove was like, the Grove was probably up there top three. Grove was fun. The Grove was Grove's awesome. Fun. That was a lot of fun. We had a good time this year. We, yeah. uh, we appreciate everybody who's listened along, um, everybody who has given us a five-star review. Thank you. Uh, you know, like when you're in the movies and they're like, and a special thank you to the premium awards plus members, whatever yeah, it is. I feel like plane. that's that moment. Thank you yeah. for our medallion members. Who is yeah. it? Do we ever give a shout-out to the guy who... who Gave us a shout out on Twitter, and as like uh, he rated his top five podcasts of the year, and we were in it, but the other four were all murder podcasts. Number one non murder podcast. Yes, number. You're looking live right now, listening live Boom. to the number one non murder SEC football podcast. That was my favorite review. Well, one of them. One of them. They're all my favorites. It's like really, good. really good. Oh, and I have one more sick brag. As this episode started, my fiance has informed me to help. She, I guess, she did this while Bama was losing because she knew I was going to need something. I don't want to call it a support animal, but we're getting a dog. Really? We're getting a corgi. Really? Corgi. Oh, my god. I wanted gosh. to name him Corgi Posada, even though I hate the Yankees. I think it's just a strong name. Yeah, Queso the Corgi will be inbound to Atlanta from, from I think, Kansas. He's coming from Kansas. Holy Less miles cow. sitting our way. Oh, so, my gosh. So, you guys, give me a shout-out on Twitter. Um, the best name. Best name. Corgi Posada is not, is not it. Okay. That's, not your, that's, fair. Was, that's not your winner. Damn it. 
Uh, we also need to still have whoever. I know the guy who won our bowl pool didn't ever reach out. I mean, yes. we got to go to the next person. Let's track him down. Yeah. If you won second place, DM us. If you were in the top 10, maybe, just DM us and we'll have you on as an interview. First yeah. person to, to send us a DM. Love we'll it. interview you. We won't just talk about your picks. We can talk about whatever team you want. We can talk about any fire takes that you have for us. I mean, I'm, I'm off the Mississippi State hype train for a little bit. Woo, I'm always, you know, you know, I'm always a Joe Moorhead guy through and through, but we'll get off that for the offseason. Make sure that you are still watching Facebook Live. How many are you down to one a week with Every those? Monday, yeah. Monday night, back to Monday nights. Make sure that you are still following us on Instagram. Like I said, we are a year-round site. That is yeah. the beauty of SDS. That is what we do. Just because the season stops doesn't mean that we stop. We keep going. 365. Train don't stop. Train don't come off the track, y'all. Follow us on Twitter at the STS Pod at C Marler SDS at C J O'Gara. Coach Joe, close out 2018 in style. Call it 2019, but it will always mean too much. Talk to you next week. <laughs>